Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. You know, I think in the summertime, I was sitting here laughing a moment ago. I think we all need to begin next summer. What we'll probably do is start out every Sunday morning with a time of repentance because if you're anything like me, you see where everybody's at the beach and you're here. Like not at church, but I just mean like it at home. And so you may come a little bitter because you're like, man, I just wish I was at the beach. So I think every Sunday morning, we probably just need to start in the altar together, just saying, God, I repent of my covet in heart this week. Um, but, you know, before we jump in, we obviously, we want to, to, to celebrate and discuss what's happened in our nation this week with the reversal of Roe versus Wade. And, you know, while we can cheer, while we can celebrate, I think what we cannot stop at is that celebration. Because now as the church, what we need to be doing is seeking God and saying, okay, God, we celebrate that your hand has moved, but now what as a church do we do? What as a church do we do? Because we can't just be cheerleaders and spectators. And I think the beauty of it is, is this partnership that we've just stepped into with Families for Families. You tell me God's timing is not perfect. And if you think, well, what is Family for Families? We're gonna have an opportunity to be the church. I would invite you on July 31st, we'll be having a luncheon um, that, that we're gonna have the opportunity to, to hear the heart behind this ministry. And it goes into to being a foster home, to talking about adoption and all of these things. And can I tell you that you think, well, I can't adopt, I can't foster. There's a role for everybody. There's a role for everybody because look, I'm disqualified. I got too many kids. They won't let us fall, bring no more in our house. But I've got to ask God, God, what is my role in this? So we want to celebrate what's happened but I think we would be disobedient as the church if we don't say, okay, God, now what? Now what do we do? So July 31st, we'll be having that luncheon. So I would invite you um, to be a part of that and to just to hear the heart behind this ministry and how we as a church are gonna get to come alongside. And while we encourage moms to have their children, it's gonna be our job to come alongside those moms and be a resource um, to give them a reason why they keep those children. So we wanna celebrate that. Um, speaking of children, you know how, are y'all anything like me? We always hear the saying, be careful what you pray for. Y'all know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Well, I was studying this past week and I knew that, that what Paul was gonna be talking about in the book of Philippians was, was motives, was what drives our motives, what is the heart behind our motives, and I always try to tee it up because I'm just a practical guy and I can always relate to stories and life experiences. And I was really struggling with how to tee this message up today. And so I literally stopped studying and I began to pray. I said, God, you've got to give me some insight. Like, where do we go from here? How do we, how do we tee this thing up? How do we step into it? Be careful what you pray for. 
because as I was studying, I received a text message from two of my lovely children that basically they've made commitments this summer to be a part of certain things. And the first text message I got was from, I won't name their names, but she's my oldest daughter. Um, the message says, Daddy, do I have to go to this today? And this was on Tuesday afternoon. And I said, why do you not want to? You know, she gave a very, very good reason. I wanna go swimming. I said, okay. No, you're going. Literally, three minutes later, get a text message from my oldest son, won't say his name, and he says, Daddy, do I have to go to this? And I said, well, what's your reason not to go to it? And it was even more spiritual than the other. I don't want to. <laughs> so, you know, as a dad, I, you know, I'm very gracious. And I told him, well, you know what? You sweet little angels, you know what? If you don't want to, you don't have to. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so I immediately found a place I could have phone service. And I called both of them. And I put on my motivational speaker hat. And so I was angry. <laughs> I was mad. I would love to say that I did everything graciously, but I did not. Needless to say, I got back to my study spot and I began to laugh because God said, That's, you prayed a way to have this teed up. <laughs> Your kids aren't motivated. Do any of you parents struggle with motivating your children? Anybody? Okay, praise God, I see a lot of this going on. Okay, I just wanted to make sure. But the, but the thing is, is what I want you to think about today is that's exactly what we're talking about, is the motives behind our action. What drives us to do what we do? And I can be a motivational speaker to my kids all day long, but if I can talk them into it, guess what? Somebody else can talk them out of it. It's gotta be something that takes place from deep within that promotes that motivation that gives them the desire to respond and to do things. And today, that's exactly what we're gonna look at. We're gonna look at the motivation of believers. We're gonna look at the motives behind what pushes a, a Christian to do what a Christian does. Look, this morning, there's no band. There's no loud music. But what drives your worship? Is it the lights? Is it the loud music? Because if you say, well, I can't, just, I can't worship in that environment. Well, if you can't worship in this environment, your motives are wrong. Then we're worshiping the wrong thing. It's gotta be something that takes place within, from deep within your soul that drives your motives. It can't be the loud music. Now look, I know a lot of you, anything like me, you miss the loud music today because you realize how bad you sound. Because you know, when it's loud, nobody can hear you. You can scream to the top of your lungs, but then this morning, all of a sudden, you start doing the same thing. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna be quiet. But what is the motive behind that worship? And what I wanna do is today is spend some time looking at what was driving the Christians in the church of Philippi to do what they were doing. What was their motivation behind it? But I think what we can leave here with today is understanding that what we're gonna learn is very practical. 
But it's also very revealing as to what we mentioned several weeks ago, that what Paul is discovering and what Paul is watching is, again, what we mentioned the first week in the book of Philippians is there is no perfect church and there is no perfect Christian. That we all struggle with motives at times. We all struggle with this motivation in our hearts to do what God has called us to do. But the one thing that we're gonna see is as we unpack some of these imperfections in these Christians, what I wanna learn from is how, how did Paul respond to these imperfections? How did Paul respond to these imperfect people? How did he respond to this imperfect church? And so what we're gonna do is just start looking at these motives. This is gonna be a very simple message, but he's gonna look at the motives behind every Christian that he's talking about. You know, if you remember going back a couple of weeks ago, this is the same group that he thanked them for their partnership. He said, I thank you for your participation in the gospel. I thank you for all that you are doing. So with that in mind, I want us to jump in this morning to Philippians chapter one, verses 15 through 18. Now, if we were gonna say there's an outline here, it would be a very simple outline. You're gonna, in the beginning, hear some good news. In the middle, you're gonna hear some bad news. And then at the end, we're gonna celebrate some great news. So in Philippians chapter one, I want you to read with me in verses 15 through 18. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from a good will. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of a selfish ambition rather than pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. Verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Again, I know I'm gonna say it about five times. I want you to remember that Paul is speaking to his partners in ministry. He's speaking to these other believers. He's not speaking to false teachers. He's not speaking to heretics, but he's talking to people that he has served alongside. And what he's gonna talk about here is he's gonna say there's two groups. There's one that has pure motives and there's one that their motives are not so pure. Their motives are not so good behind what they're doing. And so let's start out today by looking at the good news. We wanna spend some time looking at those who have the pure motives. What is driving their heart behind what they're doing? The reason that he calls their motives pure is because he says that they are preaching the gospel out of goodwill and love. Goodwill was the motive that Paul had. This heart of goodwill was the same heart that Paul had because the reality is it didn't matter what Paul's circumstances were. It didn't matter what he was living in. It didn't matter what he was walking through. His biggest concern was to make sure that the gospel was going forth. He didn't look at everything laterally. He looked at everything vertically because he wanted to make sure that the gospel continued on no matter the circumstances that he was faced with. And what we learn is that Paul cared so much about the gospel and he cared so much about the people hearing the truth that that is why he kept moving forward. 
And this is the heart of goodwill. He just kept putting people before his circumstances and before anything else he faced. And this is why we hear that his only concern was to preach Christ and Christ crucified. That was Paul's number one concern. His only concern was the gospel and other people. That was all he worried about. And this is summed up in Philippians chapter two. I'm not getting ahead, but you'll be hearing this in several weeks. Philippians chapter two, verses three through five. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Verse five. Have this attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus. This is the model that Paul lived by, that Christ was up front, was the most important thing in his heart and to make sure that other people heard of Christ. And he wasn't doing it out of selfish ambition. He was doing it for the advancement of the gospel. But the beauty of it is, is these that he's talking about that were doing it out of goodwill and love, they were mimicking what they've watched Paul do. All they were doing was mimicking what they've watched Paul doing for years in ministry. And that's great news because what we learn about those who are doing it in goodwill and love, they got it. They got it. They understood their calling. They understood what their responsibility was for. So we see that that was the goodwill, but then we also hear that word that they did it out of love. What is interesting is we always think that this love you know, alludes to only the fact of how much they loved the Lord. But what we read in through some studying is, yes, they loved the Lord. Yes, they shared the gospel as a love for the Lord. But what they also loved is they loved Paul. They loved Paul's ministry. They respected Paul's ministry so much. They loved him so deeply that they wanted to make sure that the ministry of Paul kept moving forward, whether they got credit for it or not. But they loved the Lord and they loved Paul. And so how they served, how they led people, they were doing it out of goodwill and love. And so this is great news because this group got it. I don't know about you, but that's the people that I want on my team, the people who get it, the people whose motives are pure, that it has nothing to do with them, but it has everything to do with the cross and has everything to do with the gospel. But now I want us to look at some bad news. I want us to look at some of those who their motives were not so pure. He says here that some were preaching out of envy and strife. Some were serving out of envy and strife. And envy and strife are used to define selfish ambition, which is the word we read, the phrase we read in verse 17. There's another group who was full of selfish ambition and envy and strife was fruits of that selfish ambition. Now, selfish ambition is this. I want you to think about it because we're all gonna be able to relate to this. Selfish ambition is a term used by career professionals who ruthlessly do everything they can to climb to the top. They do everything they can to climb to the top. And these are those who look out solely for their own interest, regardless of the consequences of others. These are those people you've heard the phrase, they'll just cut your legs out from under you. 
These are those people who care about no one else but themselves to make sure that they have the opportunity to climb the platform to success. And they don't care who gets in their way or who they knock off the ladder on the way. This is what selfish ambition is about. But their selfish ambition, we see the fruit of it by how they served. They served out of a place of envy and strife. Now, those are two words that we really gotta dive into so that we will understand how big these words are. Because that word envy, just on the surface, when we look at that word envy, it does refer to, to a form of jealousy. It does refer to, to, to having a jealous heart. And what scholars believe is those who were teaching and preaching the gospel, they were still envious of Paul's ministry. They were still jealous of Paul's ministry because of all the fruits that this ministry was seeing, all the fruits that they were seeing that, that were being produced of Paul's obedience. They were jealous of his ministry and they wanted the recognition that Paul had. They wanted to be known like Paul was known. They wanted the attaboys on the back just like Paul was getting from everyone. But here's where we as the church, we have to be so careful as Christians because we can all go through seasons where we're tempted to be jealous of how God is using others. We gotta be careful in that because look, we would all be lying if we said that there's not Sundays that we sit here in these seats and we watch this worship band and just that little inkling in your mind, you're like, oh, I would give anything to be able to sing like them. I would give anything to be able to play a guitar like that. Maybe you show up here on Sunday morning and you think you go to your small group and you were sitting there and you think, man, I would give anything to be able to teach like that person teaches. If I could just be as hospitable if that person was. If I could just have what they have. If I could just do what they do. If I could just have their talents. I would use them. Oh, and I want them so bad. Have you ever sat there and thought, man, what you've, you've, look, you've all visualized yourself up here under the spotlight. Yeah, you watch American Idol. You've all imagined yourself in the spotlight leading a congregation in worship because you do it in your shower every day. And you become your own worship leader and you sound great to you but you're envious of these talents. You're envious of these skills, of these abilities that everyone has. But you know what? At the root of that, guess what begins to happen? This is where we begin to see the seeds of this competition begin in ministry. This is where we see the seeds begin to be planted. Look, even as a, even as a communicator, even as a preacher or pastor, I would be lying to you if I don't listen to people and I think, man, they don't ever make up words. I make up words every week. There's parts of me, I'm like, man, if I could communicate like that, if I could communicate like this, and if I'm not careful, guess what I try to do? I, be I become untrue to who God's called me to be. And I try to be like everybody else. And there is that form of jealousy that the enemy will use, but can I tell you, this is the beginning where the church competition comes in. 
This is where churches begin to compete with one another because now in this day and age of social media, you can get on social media, you can look at Facebook, you can look at Instagram, you can look at all of them. And while yes, it is a great platform for us to be able to celebrate what God is doing in the life of our church. It's a great platform for the world to see what God is doing in other churches. What you must understand is we can never become envious of what God is doing in other churches. When we see that, we cannot look at that in our, in our temptation of our heart will be going, man, I wish we could do that. Or man, I wish we were debt free like they are. Or man, I wish we had this. Or I wish God was doing here what he's doing there. And what begins to happen is we begin to get jealous. And this is when we begin to think, okay, I'm jealous of what God's doing. And now all of a sudden the church, the big seed church gets in this competition that we've got to be promoting more than they're promoting. But what we've got to begin to do, what I encourage you to do, is when you see posts from other churches, celebrate with them in the comments. Say, praise God from Chestnut Mountain. We are so thankful that he's saving people at your church. That's what unity, that is what the lack of competition in the kingdom of God looks like. We can't be jealous of what God is doing at other churches, but we've got to be celebrating it because it's a kingdom thing. It's a kingdom thing. But you know, the envy doesn't stop at just being jealous. Envy has a little bit deeper root to it. Envy actually has the desire for bad things to happen to the other party. Envy doesn't stop with jealousy, but envy goes a little bit deeper. And not only are we jealous of what's going on, not only are we jealous of the talents, not only are we jealous of the skills, but ugh, I wish something bad would happen. I wish something bad would happen to that one that is so talented. I wish something bad would happen so that their platform would be removed or so that they wouldn't be as influential as they are. Because you see, that's what's going on with these teachers and preachers that Paul's talking about. While he's imprisoned, they're preaching and teaching the gospel and they're probably not seeing the same fruits that Paul is seeing. And so they're very jealous of what Paul, how God was using Paul. And what we find out later, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but what they begin to do is as they would go and preach and teach, they begin to tear Paul down. They begin to tear Paul's testimony apart. They begin to falsely accuse Paul of things so that it would discredit his witness. And now all of a sudden, so their witness would be lifted up so that they would now get the opportunity to, be, to achieve and to be in the same spotlight that Paul was. You see, envious grew, and that's when he, we lead it to, to read here, he talks about strife. And that's what strife is all about. Strife is the tool that an envious person will use to bring the other party down or to get ahead. Strife is the tool that an envious person will use to bring the other parties down or to get ahead. If you want to know the definition of strife, just turn on the news. 
You understand, that's just politics, right? <laughs> we're just gonna tear each other apart. That's all we're gonna do is tear each other down so that it will lift our voice louder. I found this in a commentary, and I want you to listen to this. It's a little long, but I want you to listen to this. And, but I want us to also think about how, or the reason and the importance of Paul talking about those who are, who are serving in ministry with selfish ambition by using envy and strife. I want you to look at this. Deeper than an argument, and this is the definition of the strife, of strife. Strife is deeper than an argument, broader than a disagreement. Strife usually involves bitterness. We see strife today, often in a political realm, as candidates for office attack against political foes. Strife within families can result in lifelong emotional scars. Strife between nations can lead to war. I want you to listen here. But when strife occurs among believers, the church's testimony is tarnished and Christ dishonored. That takes strife to a whole nother level. That takes strife to a whole nother level. Proverbs 13, 10 in the NIV reads this, where there is strife, there's pride. But wisdom is found in those who take advice. You see, Paul is talking about the strife that is taking place. Paul is speaking of the fact that these Christians, remember his partners in ministry, those who he's participated with, they're tearing him down. They're tearing them down because their motives are wrong. They've got the wrong heart behind what they're doing. They're selfish. They're self-absorbed because they want their voice to be heard. They want the platform that Paul had, and they were willing to ruin his testimony in the process. We'll just tear Paul down. That way we will be lifted up. We will be exalted higher, and now we will have the influence that he had. But what they don't realize is according to that commentary we read, this was tearing the church's testimony apart and Christ was being dishonored. You see, there's, there's six reasons that I found through some research of why God hates strife. Why God hates for other believers to come against each other. Why God hates when his children begin to throw the other children under the bus. Why we begin to talk about one another behind each other's back. Why we begin to have these side conversations to tear each other apart. We see these reasons. There's six of them. Strife destroys unity. Strife is the opposite of love. Number three. Listen to this one. Strife confuses a watching world. Strife alienates baby Christians. Number five, strife is a sign of worldliness, not holiness. Number six, strife distracts us, the church, from our ultimate purpose of making disciples. Strife distracts us from making disciples. So here we have a group of Christians that Paul has loved. Keep in mind, these are the same ones in Philippians chapter one that the very beginning of this that he thanked God for. 
I am thankful for you. I am thankful for our ministry together. I am thankful that God has allowed us to serve together. And these very people that he loved, these very people that he was so thankful for, now they were attempting to tear Paul down to attain influence, all the while creating a mess in the body of Christ. All the while creating a mess in the body of Christ. Scholars referred to this group of people, these that were serving out of, out of the wrong place, that their motives were not pure. Scholars refer to them as detractors, a person who takes away from quality value and the reputation of someone else, of another believer. And you know, if we're all real honest this morning, we've all participated in this at some point. We've all talked about one another. We've all thrown each other under the bus. We've all got in disagreements. We've all got in arguments before. And when we do that, what do we do? We begin to tear each other down so our voices can be heard. That's exactly what Paul, that's exactly what's going on in the church of Philippi. You've got believers who are against one another. You've got a group of believers who are tearing this man apart so that they can be heard, so that they can attain the platform that he had. But all the while, they're sowing discord in the unity of the body. But what I want us to do today is in that, I want us to learn about Paul's response. This is where this dude just blows me away. How did Paul respond, knowing that they're tearing him apart, knowing that they're tearing him down, knowing that they're bad-mouthing him, knowing that they're talking about all these false accusations against him? How did he respond? What do we learn from this response? What we're gonna learn is we're gonna see his humility and the love of Christ put on display. We're gonna see Paul's humility and the love of Christ put on display. Look at verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed in this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. The Christian Standard Bible reads it this way. It really makes a lot of sense. He says, what does it matter? What he's talking about, what does it matter what their motives are? What does it matter what they're doing? I'm not concerned about their motives. Only in that every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. You understand the weight of what Paul is saying here? He's saying, look, I don't care what people are saying about me. All I'm concerned about because remember, they're not heretics. They're not false teachers. They're teaching and preaching the gospel. They're teaching the word of God. And so Paul says, I don't care what they say about me, but what I'm gonna celebrate is the fact that they're teaching and preaching the gospel. I'm gonna celebrate that the gospel is going forth. I'm gonna celebrate that they are preaching truth. But what this gives just a little bit of hint that we might understand about Paul 
is Paul understood that the power of the gospel has the ability to overshadow sinful man. Did you hear that? The power of the gospel has the ability to overshadow sinful man. And that is what Paul is celebrating. Paul is celebrating this fact that it didn't matter what was said, but they were teaching and preaching the gospel. Look, we've all at some point in our life, I say all, I'll be careful with that. Let me, a lot of us, we've experienced church hurt. We've experienced things in our church life that, that maybe now we go to a different church as a result of that. And yes, maybe there's still some bitterness and there's some things in our heart that we really need to get out, that we need to confess before the Lord, that we need to make right with God or maybe make right with some other people, that we need to settle that. But what we also need to do is we need to get over ourselves for just a minute and recognize and understand that as long as those places that you've left from, that you've been hurt from, are still preaching and teaching the word of God, we're gonna keep celebrating it because when that word is preached, people are going to be saved because the gospel overshadows the heart of sinful man. And that is why we as the church, as a community, the Big C Church, this is why we've got to come together because it's all about Christ and him crucified. Isaiah 55, 11, it's a passage that you're all very familiar with. You've heard it. And this is the confidence that Paul had is when the prophet Isaiah writes in verse 11. So will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. When the word of God is preached, it will not return void. When the word of God is proclaimed, when the truth of the gospel is proclaimed, this is where we see that the message has much more authority than the messenger. When the gospel is proclaimed, nothing distinguishes or extinguishes the power of the gospel. Nothing can put out that fire. Nothing can put out the power of the gospel, even the heart of sinful man. Because the word of God is the word of God. And he says, when I send it out, it will be accomplishing what I send it out to do. That's a promise from God. That's not a promise from any other person but the almighty Lord and Savior. And there's confidence in that. So we hear in the midst of all of that, we talked about some good news. Yeah, there's some bad news because while we're all sinful people, we all can tend to be jealous. We can all have envy. We can all participate in this strife. And so while that's bad news, what I want you to do now is I want you to hear the great news. This is where I want you to hear the great news. This group that was so self-absorbed, this group that was so full of selfish ambition and sin, listen to me, God used them anyway. In spite of their sin, in spite of what they were doing, in spite of what they were participating in, God used them 
anyway. And I know some of you may be sitting there and you may be going, well, but Brian, there's no way God can use me. There's no way he can use me because of the sin from my past. Maybe even the sin I'm living in now. There's no way that God can use a sinner like me. Do you understand that this group of people have torn down the most influential apostle in all of the scripture? They're making up lies about him. They're throwing him under the bus. But the reality is, as long as they were still preaching and teaching the gospel, God was still using them. I don't know about you, but I am so thankful that God uses me in spite of who I am. Thank God I don't have to be perfect for God to use me. You don't have to be perfect for God to use you. And that is great news. This should be the most empowering news today is the fact that even in spite of our sin, even in spite of our mistakes, even in spite of our shortcomings, God's not looking for us to be perfect. God's just looking for us to make ourselves available and say, God, I want you to use me in spite of what I've done, in spite of who I am. And you know, you may be here this morning and God using you may be the farthest thing from your mind. And the reason I say that it may be the farthest thing from your mind is because you may not even believe that God can save you because of sin, because of the sin you're living in now, the sin that you've lived in in the past, you think, well, there's no way that God can forgive me of all that I've done. There's no way that God can forgive me of everything that I've done in my past or the things that I'm doing right now. Can I tell you all of that doubt, all of that shame, that is the very reason that Christ died on the cross. He died for all of it. And so all of those doubts, all of those fears that you have here this morning that God can't save me as a result of these mistakes of what I've done, those are the very reasons that he placed himself on a cross so that you could be forgiven of all of that. He did it for you. It's the very reason he died. It's so that he can save you in spite of your sin. But you know, maybe you're here this morning and as a believer, you've trusted in the Lord as your savior. You've repented of your sins. You've believed that he is the son of God. But you're thinking, well, this current life that I'm living right now, God can't use me. Yeah, I believe I'm saved, but until I get some areas of my life straightened out, until I get cleaned up, until I do this, until I do that, there's no way that God can use me. I wanna invite you this morning just to simply repent of that sin and ask God to use you and watch him. Repent of your sin. Repent of those very things that he's bringing to the forefront of your mind right now. You fall in the altar and you ask God, forgive me for what I've done. And maybe some of those things that you've done is exactly what Paul is talking about here. Maybe you've been serving out of a place of selfish ambition. 
And maybe as a result of this selfish heart, you've been filled with envy. You've been participating in strife. Can I tell you this morning, there's no better place to start than on your face and asking God to forgive you of that. And just like that, the slate is wiped clean. And just like that, it's cast as far as the east is from the west. And so this morning, as you struggle with the voice of the enemy, when you struggle with, with all of this doubt that God can't use you, I want you to think back to this morning that here's a group of selfish, selfish, selfish people who God used anyway because they were proclaiming and teaching the gospel. And so there's no doubt, you know, this evening, I don't know if you heard, but there's gonna be like 400 kids here. That's a lot of youngins. I thought my house was bad. That's over 100 kids more than our highest number last year. And it seemed packed like sardines in here last year. But while we celebrate that number of kids, what I also want to celebrate is that our number of volunteers has continued to climb. We're well over 200 volunteers tonight. And I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart that I believe with everything in me that you are serving out of goodwill and love. You're serving him out of your love for the Lord. You're serving him out of love for what God is doing here. But can I tell you, this afternoon, the enemy's gonna do everything he can to discredit your influence tonight. He's gonna want you to walk in here tonight saying, I can't be used. I got in a fight with my husband or my wife this afternoon. I've acted like a goofball. I've done this, I've done that. Repent and trust the Lord. It's as simple as asking God, forgive me and use me tonight. Because here's the beauty. As long as we're proclaiming the gospel, guess what? It will not return void. It will accomplish what it was sent to do. It ain't got nothing to do with you. It's the authority and the power of the word of God. So as the enemy tries to disqualify you, as he tries to discredit you today, be reminded of this passage. Be reminded that he used sinners anyway. You do understand that your small group leader ain't perfect, but God uses them anyway. You realize that I'm not even close to perfect and God uses me anyway. You realize that the pastors who write books, pastors who are on TV, they're not perfect either, but guess what? God uses them anyway. And God's invited us in as his children to participate in the kingdom work that wins, that wins. And so as we close this, this morning, 
I want you to remember that the message, the message is greater than the man. The message is greater than the man. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org and don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.